the parable we're going to talk about is the Good Samaritan. This theme of good, again, uh, in, in the New Testament, really all throughout Scripture. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 10. It's one of my favorites. It's one that uh, has been uh, taught on a lot and one that you've probably read uh, multiple times. I don't know. Uh, but last week, we spent time in Matthew 18, uh, the parable of the... Wow, you guys listened pretty good last week. The unmerciful servant. Thanks, Pat, for sharing that. The unmerciful servant. And the theme was forgiveness. And uh, forgiveness is a big, big deal. That we have all been, uh, have a sin debt that we have no way of paying back on our own. A sin debt that is so big. And we know it all too well with the ugliness and, and, and junk at times. It can be a part of our lives. And we have a Savior that went to the cross to stamp on our debt, paid in full, so that we can be in right standing with Him. And another thing we learned in the parable of the unmerciful servant is the power, really, of unforgiveness. That unforgiveness uh, leaves us uh, maybe chained to the person we haven't forgiven or tethered to the situation back then that we just have never let go of. And uh, we saw with the servant that he's forgiven a huge sum of money, uh, and then he goes back out and grabs somebody else that owes him just pennies on the dollar of what he owed, and he says, you're going to pay up. And uh, he found himself uh, in prison. And that's what unforgiveness can do to you. It can literally put you in a, in a prison, if you will, uh, to where you will not experience the fullness that, that, that our Savior has offered to all of us. And as Christ followers, it's not just forgiving seven times, as Peter asked. It's not just forgiving seven times, se- 70 times, seven times. But as Christ followers, we ought to forgive over and over and over again. As many times as our Savior has left us off the hook for our huge sin debt, we should too freely give out that same forgiveness to others that have, that have wronged us or hurt us. And it's tough. But as we look to the cross and we look to our example, the source, Jesus, uh, it can be done. And all things can be possible because of it. So we're going to be in Luke 10 today uh, looking at the good, the good Samaritan. And it's a, it's a powerful story. And there's a truth in this parable that I want us to embody as a church. And I'd love for the local church everywhere to embody this. As the question is posed of who is my neighbor? That how well are we loving our neighbor and the people, the people around us? That as I think of our, our vision statement that we've captured, that we're pursuing the transformation of communities by ensuring that every man, woman, and child has frequent opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, how well we're loving our neighbor uh, will be to the greatness that we actually carry out this great vision that we feel like God's called us to. So Jesus is going to challenge the crew here in a minute that that are asking him these tough questions, but, but this parable is the heartbeat of our vision. Why? Because we serve a Savior that calls us to serve people. We serve a Savior that calls us to love people, to, to care for people to help people that are, that are down and out, that are hurting, that are broken. And we'll see a theme in this passage that the, that the Samaritan actually carries out, that we're to, we're to love people as we would like people to love us back. Uh, we're, to, we're to care for people and, and help people as we would have them or we would want them to care for and to help us. So let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, open it. I encourage you to bring your Bibles so you can put notes in there. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen or, as always, uh, in our app, and i got to get on the right page. I'm on the wrong page. So we're going to be in uh, Luke 10, verse 25, and I'm going to read through verse 29 to start out. On one occasion, an expert in the law 
uh, stood up to test Jesus. Remember a couple weeks ago I mentioned on each parable that we read, you see the parable be set up by a, by a question, usually by some type of religious leader, somebody that thought they were all that. Uh, last week it wasn't necessarily a religious leader, but it was, it was Peter, one of Jesus' closest. But we're back to the expert. Uh, I don't know who called him an expert, but the expert asking this, Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he asked a question, and Jesus fires two questions back. He says, what's written in the law? Pretty much saying, you already know the answer to this. And he replied, how do you read it? And he answered, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This religious leader's already heard this before. It's the great commandment. You find it in Matthew 22, and they tried to test Jesus again and pin him down and say, hey, can you, could you sum up all of the law? Uh, what, would be the, what would be the greatest among them? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So he knew the answer to this. And then Jesus says, hey, you have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But we're going to see in a minute that wasn't his only that wasn't his only question. And we have this expert in the law looking to Jesus. And he tries to justify maybe the reason why he's not loving the people in his life or the neighbors in his life. And maybe a greater question that this guy's asking is not, "Hey, who's my neighbor?" but it's almost like he's trying to see And we do the same thing in our own hearts at times. Hey, who's not my neighbor? Who's the person that I I don't really need to love, right? Who's the person that I can just walk by? Who's the person that I don't need to to, to attend to or to care for? And and I don't don't necessarily mean write them off, but I can just maybe exclude or just act like they're not there. Who is that person is what they're asking asking Jesus. And we kind of ask the same thing at times, don't we? Who's my neighbor? And don't tell me it's the person down the street that I can't stand. You know, who's my neighbor? Don't tell me it's the guy at work that he just he looks at me and it gets under my skin. He, can't, he, he doesn't even live by me. He can't be my neighbor, right? Can't be my in-laws. They live out of state. There's no way they're my neighbor, right? And we will begin to think about ways we don't have to love the people around us because we think, well, they're not physically my neighbor. Who is it, God, that I don't need to give my attention or love too. So when we read the great commandment, we kind of like the first part. We sing about it a lot. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He gave us Jesus. Jesus gave us salvation. He gave us the hope of heaven. He gave us something really good. But the second part is tough. To love people. People are messy. People are sometimes hard to be around. And Jesus is cornering this group of people. Man, you need to, you need to learn to love Love people. I heard this a long time ago from a preacher. That in areas in Scripture where, where God wants obedience, we want options. Isn't that true? In areas of Scripture where we read it and God's like, man, I, I just want you to be obedient in this. I want you to trust me in this. And yet we're looking for options. I don't know. Did he quite say we're supposed to do that? I don't think it's to that degree that we're supposed to do it. Or we're not supposed to carry it out that way. And we, we love to find options, to find a loophole, if you will, in God's Word so that, so that it doesn't apply to me. This religious leader was doing the same thing so that he could justify some of his own actions. In Matthew 23, 
uh, there's uh, some statements that, are, that take place, and you, we could pick any one of them. Uh, Matthew 23, verse 23 is the one I'm going to pick. It's the seven woe statements, woe to the Pharisees, of, hey, you need to get your act together, if you will. And here's what he says in Matthew 23, verse, verse 23. Because Jesus despised those that tried to find maybe loopholes in the law or those that were just carrying out the law for outward purposes. And he said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're living a double life. He said, you give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So you'll gather around your kitchen counter, and you'll start divvying out your, your herb garden, if you will, 10% here, 10% there. But when it comes to you actually living out your faith, showing justice, showing mercy, showing grace to your brother and sister in need, none of you are doing it. And Jesus calls them to the carpet on this, that they're going literally through the spiritual, the spiritual motions. And he despised it. and didn't like it. And he said, you're observing all of the law, but you're treating the people around you like dirt. You're treating them bad. And that's not of me. That's not of my heart. That's not what God's called you to. My prayer for us as a church is that we would stay on mission in this area. Because it is so easy to go through the, the spiritual motions, if you will, and just kind of on the outside make it look like everything's going great. Entire churches can do that. But we're not living it out on a practical level to the people around us because the church that stops loving people isn't really the church anymore. Christians that stop loving people, if I read the Bible correctly and it says God is love, by definition, probably aren't even Christians anymore. And churches that start, they start with a great passion, a great excitement to reach their community, and then we see churches close down because both of those two statements I just made become a reality. They just quit loving their community and being relevant to the people around them, and they find themselves locking the door. Jesus' heartbeat is about loving and caring for people. In John 13, 35, listen to one of the character traits that we should all have as a Christ follower and as a disciple. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If what? If you love one another. Not by all the scripture you can spout out. Not by the, all the times you've shown up to church, which all that stuff's important. But by how well you love one another. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't, he chooses his words carefully. Because it's one thing for us to, to, to go to church, quite another thing to follow Jesus. It's one thing for us to know God's word, but it's quite another thing to know God's word and then, and then live it out in the world. That's the call that Jesus is, is, is bringing upon us. It's the, it's the challenge he's about to bring to these religious leaders. You are going through the motions spiritually. You'll follow the law. You'll follow all, all that stuff when it's convenient for you. So he tells this story to, to, to share his point in, in verse 30, if you want to follow along. In verse 30, it says, in reply, Jesus said to the question, hey, who's my neighbor? Can you explain that? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. This was about a 17-mile stretch. Imagine walking 17 miles. I mean, none of us would sign up for that. 
And it was, a, it was a rough terrain, very rocky area, maybe some caves along the way. And if you were traveling alone, it was a great place for bandits and robbers, and you were going to go down. Or if there was even a small group of you, and you looked weak, and you had a lot of good stuff on your, on your donkey, I'm taking it, right? And it's going to be mine. So this guy got beat up. He's t- traveling uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and, and he got beat up. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and, and went away, leaving him half dead. And then Jesus shares that story, and now he's going to talk about three people that walk by this guy that is laying almost dead in the middle of the road. He says a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed uh, by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, to which everybody in Jesus' audience, ears would have perked up, Probably would have been irked a little bit, a little bit frustrated that he even brings up a Samaritan because they despised the Samaritans. They called them half-breeds, dogs. And Jesus says, but this Samaritan, as he's walking by, he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wound. He poured on oil and wine, uh, and then he put the man on his own donkey He brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out uh, two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. I'll pay for the room and board. I'll pay if he happens to take one of those $10 waters out of the fridge in the hotel room. I'll pay for it all when I get back, but take care of him, all right? He says, and then Jesus asked this tough question. Which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law, he had no other choice but to reply the way that he did. He said the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He said the one who had mercy on him. He was the guy that was right. When Knox and Beckham get in a duel at our house, which is about every 10 minutes at our house, and we're like, all right, you two are going to stand by each other, and you're going to say sorry to one another. And whoever was at fault, maybe your children do this, they can't even look at the other one to say sorry. And they're like, sorry. And they'll just look away, and you don't even know. Like, you heard the word, but you're not quite sure if it even came out. And I imagine this religious leader in this moment, and all right, who's the one who was right in this scenario? He's probably like the one that had mercy on him. And he couldn't even look at Jesus or the crowd because he knew in that moment he was wrong. And Jesus looks at him, and here's what he says. He says, go and do likewise. Church, this Samaritan and this traveling Jewish man had nothing in common. They grew up in two totally different worlds, if you will, a different heritage. They grew up spiritually a whole lot different. And yet this Samaritan man did not allow any of his differences to stop him from being Jesus, from stop him from being a neighbor to the one that he had no business being a neighbor to. And this crowd would have been in all of what took place. A short story with a powerful truth in God's word. A question is posed, who's my neighbor? Who is it that I'm supposed to love? And Jesus makes it as clear as day. You need to love the one that's right in front of you. And they missed it. 
they walked right by him so that they could move on to the next thing and carry out God's work. Jesus taught them that real love, it's not talk, it's when it's action. True love is when you engage, when you do something, when you do something about it. It's not about who it is or, 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 or what it is. You just love them, and you just engage, and you just do it. And another thing this story tells us is it's costly. When we step out on a limb for the gospel and, and to serve and to love people, it, it's always going to cost, cost us something. So when we think about it, like, man, who's our neighbor? I mean, I know who lives on my left and my right and across the street, but who's Jesus portraying as our neighbor? Everyone. So my neighbor is the one that, that when I walk and I see something or I hear somebody in need, I just help them. Or my neighbor's the, 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 the restaurant server as they take my order, or my neighbor's the restaurant server as they take my order and take forever to bring it back out to me. In that moment, they're still my neighbor. Uh, my neighbor's the one that it's really hard to be around. My neighbor's the cashier at the, at the grocery store or wherever that's just taking too long. And my neighbor's the one that I'm driving by down the road, that our neighbor is everybody. So when it talks in Scripture about us loving our neighbor, it's kind of hard because our neighbor is every person we look at. Our neighbor is every person that we, that we encounter. And Jesus removes this whole, hey, your neighbor is the person that lives next door to you. And your neighbor is everyone that you come in contact with. Jesus introduces the Samaritan into the story. And it's another key component to the story. Because as I mentioned earlier, they were called all kinds of names. They were half-breeds. They were, they were dogs. They were neither fully Hebrew nor fully Gentile. And how this came about is when Assyria, the Assyrians uh, conquered and began to capture the northern kingdom of Israel. And some were left behind and some were captured and taken away. And those that were left behind began to marry many in the Assyrian uh, group of people. So they were never uh, you know, fully Hebrew or fully Gentile. They had their own version of the first five books of the Bible. They would worship in a different way. And they were just people that, that the religious leaders in, the, in, in that crowd despised. And I can't even accurately help you understand how bad they actually despised them. But I love what Jesus does in this story. He, he literally flips it on its head. And he flips this story on its head about who they would actually think as he's sharing this story about who the good guy is and who the bad guy is, right? I mean, you'd think the good guy would be the, would be the priest and the Levite. But it's actually flipped to be the opposite. Who was the first person to walk by? It was the priest, the spiritual leader of the community, right? The one that helped other people get right with God. The one that would make the sacrifices in the temple. The one that people would look to for guidance and spiritual affirmation. And Jesus says, this, that guy looked at him, nah, and he kept on going. The second person in the story was the Levite. The Levite was a, a, a temple assistant. Uh, this person could have been known as a spiritual leader as well, or one that probably performed some sacrifices in the temple. This guy that the crowd's probably thinking, a Levite, he's one of us. He's the good guy. And he walked by this guy on the side of the road that got beat up and, and said, nah, I've got to move on. I've got to move on and get God's ministry done. And he walked right by the ministry that God called him to do. And then he says, a Samaritan showed up. 
to which everybody in that crowd was probably thinking, don't even go down the path of making the Samaritan the good guy. And Jesus did just that. And at the end, he said, who was the one that was actually the neighbor? Who was the one that actually lived out what it means to love people the way I would love them? And Jesus says it was the it was the Samaritan. Do you think Jesus carefully crafted every single word in every single parable that was written? No question. No question that he did. And he was trying to get this group of people to, to remove this, this idea of not just, not just by what you do on the outside, your outside actions, but I want to challenge you also with what's going on on the inside and how you are viewing people. Because the Samaritan was introduced in the story I'm sure all kinds of emotions welled up inside of the people that were there. And he began to tackle and challenge and debunk some of the, the, the cultural issues that were going on in that time. People were, were using stereotypes for people. Uh, they, were, they were putting people in these categories and in these silos, and they were, they were judging them before they even knew them. They were judging this Samaritan, and they had zero relationship uh, with them. And Jesus is letting them know, the whole crowd, hey, the people you don't like, the people that you're calling half-breeds and dogs and they shouldn't even be allowed to worship in the temple, the people that you're saying are outcasts and they have no right even communicating with me, that one, that person, is your neighbor. And church, we can do the same thing. We walk through life and we meet people. Maybe we never meet them, but we just hear about them from somebody else. And we begin to size them up. We begin to create a profile for them. And we begin to say, this is who they are, this is who they're not. And we begin to do that based off a whole host of, of things in our lives. And then we find ourselves with an inability to love them well. Because the way that we view people will ultimately affect the way that we're able to love people. And if we begin to view people wrongly and judge them before we even know them or meet them, we will begin to treat them wrongly over and over and over again. And Jesus is challenging this group of people, man, don't, don't buy into that. Labeling people and, and, and stereotyping people and dividing people up. And we look at that and think, how could that crowd ever do it? But you know what the truth is? It's still in me. And it's still in every single one in this room. It's the broken side of us. It's the, the carnal side of us. It's our sinful man, if you will. And what we have to ask is, God, would you renew my mind? Would you renew my thoughts? Would you renew my heart? Would you help me to see everyone as a child that you thought was worth going to the cross and dying for? And Jesus is taking these, these spiritual leaders, if you will, to task. And he's challenging them, man, you need to love as I first have loved, I have loved you. Why did Jesus introduce this Samaritan into the story? Because this was a true issue going on in this community. And he says you can't walk through life with suspicious judgment on everybody before you even get to know them. Because you're not going to be a very good neighbor if you do that. If you walk through life and people are, are proven guilty before they're even proven innocent, man, then you're going you're gonna to look down upon them at all times. And Jesus says the Samaritan in the story, he was the one that loved well. He was the one that looked at the man on the side of the road and says, I can help you. I want to serve you. So we can walk through life and we can view people through our own lens or through the world's lens. Or we can say, God, I'm so broken. 
would you help me to view people through, through your lens? Help me to view people as that valuable person you went to the cross and died and died for. Did the priest and the Levite see the guy? Most certainly they did. But they made judgments. They made all kinds of calls about this guy. And they, they didn't want to get their hands dirty. This priest was a guy that performed sacrifices all the time. But he thought, if I go be a part of this, I'll be unclean. The Levite did the exact same thing. And the Samaritan, what did he do? He had empathy. And he said, if that was me on the side of the road, what would I want somebody to do for me? If that was me, beaten up, almost ready for death, how would I want somebody to come alongside and serve me and love me? I think sometimes we look at all of our world's problems. I don't know about you, but it's like, I don't think I could ever make a dent in any of it because it just seems like it's so big and it's so grand and it's so great. And I've shared this with you before and heard it a long time ago. To do for one that which you wish you could do for many. So while we may not be able to fix all the world's problems as an individual, we can go serve one person. We can go help one family. We can go help one person that's down and out or broken. And if the collective body of Christ would, would, could you imagine the good that could be done if Christ followers walk through life with their, with their spiritual antennas up, if you will, of God, where are you calling me to make a difference? Where are you challenging me to, to be Jesus today? That so often there's a reason why God let you see that person, why God let you hear about that story. So often there's a reason why God gave you the gift set to be able to bless them in that moment. And I think sometimes God, we, we, we go say all these prayers to God of, God, would you just help us do something? And he's like, I've already equipped you to do it. Go do it. Step out and be Jesus to the world. You know, sometimes when we see the big issues and we see the big problems in our world, one of the greatest things we can do is pray. Because there's moments we literally can't do anything about it because it's halfway around the world or it's in a, in a place that we have no access to. We can't do anything about it. But we can invoke the power of the Almighty God through prayer. And I encourage you today, man, as God brings people across your path and you hear things or you see things, even if you're not able to do something, there is great, great power in prayer. But there are times where it's not just you can pray, but it's time to do something about it. And God's equipped you to do it. And every time you step out and do it, it'll be risky. And Jesus told us to count the cost before we follow him. It'll be costly. It'll be inconvenient. You may have to get your hands dirty. Uh, it may even be at risk of your own life, like the Samaritan guy. He stepped out to help this other guy. He just got beat up. He could be next, right? His reputation could be ruined because he's helping somebody that's completely different than him. I think of the Matthew West song of just do something. Anybody heard that? I'm not going to rap it or sing it, but I want to read the chorus to you. He says, if not us, then who? Uh, if not me and you right now, it's time for us to do something. If not now, then when? Will we see an end to all this pain? It's not enough to do nothing. It's time to do something. I may not have a lot to offer, but I can offer whatever I do have. I can write the card. I can write the email. I can give financially. I can go serve a meal. I can give a phone call and just give an encouraging word. And God is calling us as a church and as individuals and me to make a difference. So what is God calling you to? Where is God already placing you every single day? Where do you find yourself going on a regular basis that God's saying, this is, this is where I've called you to make a difference? 
This is where I'm challenging you to be Jesus in this place. And here's the thing with our culture today. It's not so much about making a difference, but what are we all about today? We're all about, instead of making a difference, making a point, right? Everybody wants to make a political point. Everybody wants to make a spiritual point. Hey, here's what I think about this, and here's what you need to know, and I'm going to enlighten you and help you understand my point of view. And once you do, uh, you'll be enlightened. And what happens once somebody gives their point of view out and tries to make their point? Somebody always has a counterpoint, and it's this vicious cycle over and over and over again. And we were never called to walk through life making points. I don't know if anybody that ever came to Christ because somebody made a point, and they're like, you know what, you're right. Let me say the prayer right now because of that great point. But I do know a lot of people because they were loved well, because they were served well, because they were cared for, because somebody was the good Samaritan to them in a time of, of great need, uh, their life their life was changed. And the church isn't exempt from this either. The church throughout history has just come along and tried to make way too many points at the expense of people coming to Christ. And if we want to make a difference, things have to change in that area. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5.12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? And man, if we get all caught up in making a point at the expense of making a difference, we will miss out on all the opportunities that we just talked about in our vision for every man, woman, and child to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And he's telling this group of religious leaders, you've been trying to make a point for far too long, and you need to make a difference. I put an opportunity right in front of your face, and you just said, nah, not for me. I got ministry to do. I got to go work and get my things done. And Jesus challenged them in this great area. Following Jesus cost us something, church. And one of the things I love about all the parables throughout the New Testament is Jesus didn't just read, share these stories and say, good luck, I hope you can figure it out. But he modeled it over and over and over again. Because let me remind you once again, this story we look at and think, those are people over there. You and I were the one laying in the ditch. The one that was beat up, the one that was broken, the one that was hurt, the one that was full of sin, the one that had no hope for a future, that was lying, ready to die, and God sent his son into the world to be the good Samaritan in our life, to care for us, to love us, to bandage us up, and to give us hope for something greater. And he's forgiven us of our sins, and he's made us whole, and he's made us right, and we are called to do the same. So freely we have received, but it wasn't free for Jesus. It cost him everything. It cost him his life. But freely if we've received, freely we need to go give. And I believe we can begin to change this community and the greater parts of this world and mankind when we begin to change lives one life at a time. When we're the good Samaritan one life at a time. I shared in first service and I'll share it again today because I was reading this parable that I've read over many times this last week. And it's like, maybe, maybe during the last worship song, I just need to repent and ask for forgiveness of all the times I have walked by the person on the side of the road. All the opportunities that God's put right in front of my face, but I've just been so busy in my own life, so busy with my schedule and things going on with me, that the opportunity was right there. And yet I think, well, I'm gonna do ministry over here. God says, you missed it. You missed it. 
God, help us to be spiritually in tune with the one that's hurt and broken right in front of us. That's my prayer for you and for me. Let me pray. God, thank you for this story. Thank you for the story of the Good Samaritan. Thank you for being so good to us in our life. Thank you for being the one that as you were walking down the road and saw us broken and hurting and lying there with no hope for salvation and for hope, for the hope of a future greater than this, the hope of heaven. And God, I pray for opportunity tenfold for this body to, to be the Good Samaritan in this community, at our workplaces, at restaurants, at stores, at the base, wherever we do life. You've called us to, to be spiritually in tune with you. And I pray when we do that, that you would prompt us with your Holy Spirit and point us to where you're calling us to serve people. God, we ask and, and, and repent as the body of Christ for all the air and times that we've, we've walked by the guy on the side of the road. We've known about somebody hurting or broken and just moved right along. And God, we repent of that. God, thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. God, I pray for the offering that we're about to take up, that you would use it to change lives, not just here in Centerville, not just in the greater Dayton area, but literally around the world. And we pray that in your name. Amen.